So this is a supplement to my teaching from last night. I wanted to finish up the uh, about 10 minutes of uh, completing this lesson on rewards, um, dealing with extension from the Great White Throne Judgment. As we, we talk about the Great White Throne, that is the judgment of unbelievers, which we've been covering. But then comes the question of rewards for believers and their place of judgment. And as we, we found, that's, that's uh, given to us <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But that's not the white throne. That is the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, long E, Bema seat. Uh, which was a place of reward or loss of reward. And so the thing that Paul is presenting here is that every believer, as we were saying, will face that. And that occurs, as he says also, that this will take place on the day of Christ, which is the day of the rapture. So uh, does that all take place in that one time, every believer evaluated for rewards? Does it take seven years for all that evaluation? I don't know. It just says, in the day of Christ. With God, since time is meaningless, um, could it all occur at the very same time, almost in an instant, that we are uh, evaluated and rewarded? Um, yes. And I believe that that probably will be the case. But again, that's my feeling from that passage, others feel that it will uh, progress over a period of time. But there's really no indication. And so this rewarding would be based on the things that we have done in this life, whether good or bad, as, as it says it there, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. So then, as we come to this time of reward, then those who have labored for the Lord, and our labor was not in vain. It was not meaningless. Uh, it was not empty of purpose. Uh, we did it with the right motive, with the right heart. We did it in the right way. Whether it was received or not, whether it was productive or not, is not the issue. The fact is we did it. Whether whether we witnessed to people and they received the Lord, we're not, we're not honored because they did we're honored because we witnessed. And so uh, in all of the work that we do, we give. So, so the person that we give to squanders what we give. We're rewarded for the heart of giving that we had. Not the amount. The amount we give is not the issue. Uh, but we're not giving to get attention. We're not getting to get position. We're not giving to get um, something in return. No, we're giving out of a heart of love, out of a heart of devotion, out of a heart of charity that we want to uh, give to the church, give to the ministry, give to those in need, and the Lord rewards those, quote, good works. So now what I want to look at is the issue of good works versus good works. So this is page four in your notes, and this is where I I did not get finished in my session last night, so I wanted to add this uh, so that it is completed. There are good works, and there are good works. Good works are things we do out of what God has given us. But good works before salvation will get you nothing. And so those are the two things that we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to go back to a verse we have already covered, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16, Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. No matter how much good we do that the law demands out of us. Remember the greatest, the greatest command Jesus gave, Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So you do that. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, if we if we give our body to be burned, even if we sacrifice our life for someone else, and have not love, it's meaningless. So 
there is a there is a heart to the works and if if those works were an attempt to gain salvation it does no good that doesn't mean that people that are unsaved can't do good things sure they can but the good things don't save them the good things might bring them reward and honor in their life it might secure uh, their life from um, destruction, uh, certainly giving uh, with a heart toward helping others is productive for people even who are not saved. Doing good things for people, helping your neighbors, uh, sacrificing your life for someone else, that's a good thing and it can have production but it has nothing to do with your justification, right? Good works for justification are meaningless. They produce nothing. That no one is saved by the good works they do in order to be justified. So a person can be very good, a philanthropist that's didn't roll out of my mouth the way I wanted it to today. A philanthropist, uh, a, a soldier, uh, a police officer, someone who's doing good for others, uh, civil action, a, a husband who's being good, a mother who's being good to her children or to her husband. So there's good that people can do, but it doesn't gain them salvation. There may be good people. Uh, they may be a blessing to the community, even to the world. But it gains nothing as far as salvation. They cannot be justified by good works. But only through faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul goes on to say. Not justified by works of the law, but through, you could put the word only, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So three times he says that in that verse. So yeah, I think we ought to get it. You can't be justified by works. You can be a good person. And it's, it's important that we be good people. But that doesn't get you saved. And as good as you want to be, those, those works don't count toward your salvation because if you did not believe in Jesus Christ, you are among the dead who are raised to life at the great white throne. Your works will be evaluated against the righteousness of God. And they hold no candle. They don't come close. There is no possible way that your life could be um, weighed that way. Now, I, I said it wrong the other day. The, uh, the Egyptian um, religion out of which this weighing your good against your bad, uh, one of the most ancient religions of the world, it was your good is measured against the weight of a feather. So, um, yeah, you're, you're going to lose. Because you're just not going to, you're not going to equal what is necessary. And so this is, this is the way that God wants us to uh, approach the world. We have a message, message of life. Good is good. And it's important that we be good people, good citizens, good husbands and wives, good children, good parents, good workers, good in our society, good in our culture. It's important that we be that, but it won't gain us eternal life. The only thing that brings justification, being made righteous, that's what the word justified, made righteous, the only thing that brings justification it's faith in Jesus Christ, because only he was good enough. All the rest of our works 
are, as Isaiah says, filthy rags. Our blood stain of sin is incredible. incredible. We need to be washed white as wool. And the only thing that can do that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 says this about good works. Who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us that we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That means a people of his own. Uh, Peculiar doesn't mean strange or different. It means a people that belong to him. His very own. A special purchase. A people of special purpose who are zealous for good works. So now here's another side of good works. There are works that people do that think that by those works they should be saved, but they can't be because those are good works that we're trying to do to gain salvation. Good works that we're, we're using to somehow lead unto salvation, and that cannot save us. It can bless the world, it can bless other people, but it will not get us saved. So there are good works. Then after salvation, there's good works. So doing good before we're saved gains us nothing with God. But after we're saved, we should be, as it says here in Titus, zealous of good works. That means hot, boiling. Zealous comes from the word which means to boil, fervent, boiling over, that we should be intensely seeking after good works. Now, in the Greek language, there's there's two different words for good, and they can be used in numerous different ways. Um, I put these down here in your notes, two types of good. There's a Greek word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S, agathos, which is internal good or intrinsic good. It's good because it is. That's the the vegetables you tell your children to eat that they don't want to eat. There's good in them, whether you like them or not, right? So there's good there. There's good that God wants uh, us to pursue, there's good. It's, it's good just because it is. Whether other people don't think it is, because it doesn't appear good, because it doesn't taste good, because it doesn't seem good, it doesn't sound good. It's agathos. The goodness is in it. People say, well, this, this thing that only Jesus Christ can save, that doesn't sound good. But it is agathos. That is the goodness of God who made a way for us to be saved, that he might redeem us. The phrase might means its potential. He gave himself so that he might. If he did not give himself, God could not redeem us. The might potential there has to do with the fact that he had to give himself. He had to surrender himself in order that we might be redeemed, because if he didn't, we could not be redeemed. And if you will not accept Jesus Christ, you cannot be redeemed. You say, that doesn't sound good, but it is. Agathos. And so he redeemed us so that we might be zealous of good works. Whether people think they're good or not, we witness to people and we tell them that only through Jesus Christ can they be saved. They don't think that's good. They may even take our life for that. Down through the the history of the church, God's people have been persecuted, even in the Old Testament. The the believers in the Messiah were persecuted by other religions, by other nations, because they said only through the Messiah can there be faith. The world said, we don't like that. That doesn't sound good. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't, doesn't feel good. And our world is real big on feeling right now. 
doesn't feel right, but it is. And so we need to be zealous of good works, doing good things on behalf of people, on behalf of God, on behalf of our family, our society, our culture, doing good. If we're persecuted for it, so be it. I'm not asking for persecution. I certainly don't want to pursue it. But I want to be zealous for good works. And if being zealous for good works brings persecution because it doesn't sound good, feel good, taste good, look good, then let that be. Because the good works I'm doing are because I am a believer. We are zealous for good works. Zealous to produce. Zealous to show. Uh, we read those, those passages. We could go back to uh, the passage in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and that word again is agathos. Created for good works. Works that are intrinsically good. Works that are uh, internally good. Works that, that don't appear that way to the world. But they are. Uh, some translations even call this divine good. But the Greeks used it in other ways. But in the Bible, it pretty much has to do with divine good. So this is something that is of God. And so God has created us. We're his poem, his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. He put that in us. And now he wants us to put it out, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are good works that God has placed on the inside of us that we need to walk in. That means we need to bring it to the outside. Uh, so we have these beautiful passages in the scripture that talk about this. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Again, we said this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So... God wants me to do good works, things that are, are intrinsically good. But there's also another word for good. And if you go uh, down there on your uh, page four, types of works, uh, types of good, uh, there's agathos, intrinsic, internal, divine. But there's also kalos, K-A-L-O-S, kalos. And kalos in, in Greek uh, is external good. That doesn't mean it's bad. It, what it means is it's work that can be observed, things that the world can see. Intrinsic good, maybe people don't see. They might see your heart in it, but sometimes they turn up their nose. In Agathos, good can sometimes be rejected because it doesn't appear good. Kalos, on the other hand, is good on the outside. Now, this is the kind of thing that if you're not saved, these external good things are meaningless. I mean, they might be good for other people. They might help your neighbor or your children, community. But they won't gain you anything with God. They may be good-looking. They may be appealing. And that's the idea behind this Greek word, kalos, external good. What can be observed? This word could be translated noble or excellent or beautiful even. It's the word that they would use to say, well, that's, that's good. Um, I like photography. Many people look at some of my pictures and they say, that's good. We ought to see all the ones I don't post. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot more that I don't post. They're not so good. Uh, people look at it because they say, that's, that's beautiful. It's good. Um, the things that we should do in this life. And this word is used, you could get a concordance and run this through, find the word kalos, good. Um, this can be translated noble or excellent. Uh, it's, it's good to the appearance. And you know what? As believers, we should do things that are good to the appearance. People ought to be able to see good that we're doing also. 
We do good things. And they come from where? They come from the life of God that's inside of us. So actually, when we go back to that passage in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, let's look at that. Titus 2, 14, up above there, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for, that word good is call us. God wants us to be zealous to do things that the world considers good, beautiful, the people can be drawn to. Because when we do, it draws attention to God. So we do good things. Yeah, we do agathos, good, that may be accepted or not, may be acknowledged or not. But we also do good, you know, as, as a church. We, we want to do good in this community. Um, the Bible tells us that we should pray for those who are around us. Peter tells us time and again that we should do good in this life. Um, we need to do things that the world says, yeah, these people are good. Good to our neighbors. Good to our children. Not just the intrinsic good, agathos, but also call us the beautiful good, the noble, the excellent this is the word that's found in, in uh, Timothy when it says that if a man desires to be a bishop, he, des he, he desires a good work. It's, it's kalos. Paul tells Timothy he needs to be a good soldier. Kalos. He needs to be a soldier that can, can, shows that he's truly uh, honorable. So there is, there is good that's intrinsic. There's also good that's evident. And so we should do good to one another. Time and again, this word callous is used in reference to uh, our work of ministry or to uh, our treating of other people. So, yes, we want the agathos good, we want the callous good. But you see, those come because of our salvation, they issue forth from salvation. Unbelievers may do good works that they think will gain them salvation. But we produce good works from our salvation. So this is, this is the, the idea of, of the good works that we can do. James chapter 2, um, beautiful passage that shows the, the contrast in these two things. Some people say, well, James believed in salvation by works. Paul believed in salvation by faith. Uh, you got that wrong. Because Paul said, after we're saved, work, do something, walk. So Paul likes to use the word walk as far as, as referencing the activity of the believer in re reference to society, culture, family, Walk out your salvation. Work out your salvation. But Titus 2, 4 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Oh, sorry, wrong verse. James 2, 18. James 2, 18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So James says, Yeah, you, you say it's faith. Or I say it's faith, I, you say it's works, however that goes. You have faith, I have works. But James is saying, yeah, but if you have faith, it should work. And your works should be a result of your faith. I'll show you my faith. How? By my works. My faith will produce works. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. He's referring here to Abraham. So, did Abraham work for his salvation? No. The Bible says he did what? He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith was counted as righteousness. But did Abraham work? Yeah. 
His faith caused him to do things. Out of his faith, he did things, sacrificed his son when God told him to, followed where God led him, listened to God's voice. So Abraham's faith produced works, and his works were the result of faith that was on the inside. So also us, agathos works, intrinsic good works come out of us because of our salvation because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So also noble works, kalos type works, works that can be seen, works that appear to people, works that are beautiful, works that are attractive. Those things draw people. We want to have a good family life so that we can be a model, quote, in our society, the Bible tells us that we should live out our Christianity. We should endeavor to be uh, imitators of God as dear children. There ought to be external showing proof of the salvation that's on the inside of us. So these are, uh, these are the things that God wants out of our life. Good works, not works trying to gain salvation because all of that will be evaluated at the great white throne and none of it will be effective. You'll be evaluated by your works and condemned to eternal hell. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the works that you do will bring rewards out of the salvation that's on the inside of us, out of the gift that God has given to us, out of the spirit that God has placed within us. We do works that show our salvation, that show our faith. We give. doesn't matter how much. It matters the motive, the desire the interest of our heart we give we help we love all of those things become good works agathos kalos sometimes they go together now the bottom half of your fourth page i I talk about crowns because at the reward seat of christ um, there will be honor Gold, silver, precious stone will be rewarded. If you built with gold, silver, precious stone, there will be rewarded. Built with wood, hay, and stubble, that burns up. It's gone. Um, So I, I, I don't think no one is going to stand there with only wood, hay, and stubble. And no one is going to stand there with only gold, silver, and precious stone. What we did, wrong motives, what we did, for ourselves, what we did, you know, in in a way of maybe out of fellowship with the Lord, and we were doing things, but we weren't really doing them in faith. We weren't doing them in love. Um, all those things. So we'll have gold, silver, and precious stone, every one of us, and we'll have wood, hay, and stubble, every one of us. The wood, hay, stubble gets burned up. Uh, I don't know where the fire is, but somehow fire will judge all of it. That is the fiery presence of God, not the fire of hell. It is not the fire of eternal damnation. We don't stand before that. It is the glorious fire that is in the very presence of God. And so all of the wrong is removed. And as we stand at the Bema, only the things that were done, gold, silver, and precious stone, are rewarded. And what are the rewards? Well, All we can see is what the scripture gives us. Um, There are positions. um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that even the stars have different levels of glory. So even as we as believers stand before God in heaven, there'll be one level of glory compared to another level of glory, uh, just as the stars have different colors, different 
levels of brightness, different magnitude. Um, sometimes it's based on the size of the of the sun the, that makes the star. Sometimes it's the size of the galaxy that is that is creating what we call a star. Um, and in that, there will obviously be levels of authority, levels of position. But you know, they're all in the presence of God. They're all right there before God. Old Testament saints raised up are going to be the servants of the Lord. We, the church, are the children of God. But we're all together in heaven. And yeah, there may be different levels of positioning, different levels of authority uh, that we see during the time of the millennium. But after the millennium, the new heaven, new earth, there, there doesn't seem to be anything to rule. We will be with God forever. Will there be levels of, of reward? Possibly. There's different crowns, and we'll see these, but we're given very little information on that. So all we can say is, just as Paul argued there in 1 Corinthians 15, that even among the stars... There are different levels of, of glory. But when we come to the crowns, we can see. Now, this seems to be what will be given in response to um, our life here on earth, how we have done on earth. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9 um, there's a the whole section here that Paul goes through this, um, and he talks about uh, laboring for the Lord, talks about uh, his work for the Lord. Um, it comes down finally in verse 24, and he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Now, I'm not... I'm not running against other believers. I'm running against myself, my own flesh. My tendency is not to want to do the things of God and my, my fulfillment of the things that God has asked of me. In the race all run, run so as to win. Don't run just to be in the crowd. Run to win. Again, I've related my, my experience in high school of being a quarter mile, 440 runner, Today, 400 meter, um, you have to run with with everything you have. We call it guts out. You, you just you run so as to win. I never ran to come in last place or even run to come in second. I wanted to win. It's so you run with purpose, and that's an illustration of how we should live our life: running with purpose. But only one gets the prize. I, I'm running against my flesh, not my brothers, my sisters, not my, my, my wife, not other ministers. Uh, I'm running against my own flesh. Paul's going to enlarge on that here in a minute. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It's self-control. They do it to receive a perishable crown. The word wreath is actually the word crown. A crown that perishes. It was a laurel wreath. So we, we use the word wreath. Stephanos was the word that's used here, but it has to do with a laurel wreath. But a laurel wreath fades and, and it gets brittle. You know, how many have saved, you know, some flowers from, you know, some special occasion and you save them? Maybe you, you preserve them, but still they're very fragile. If you touch them, they, they break apart. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we one that is imperishable. A crown will not decay, it will not degenerate, it will not uh, waste away, it will not break, it will not fail. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I'm not going to run, just get out there and run aimlessly while just down the track. No, when the time that gun sounded, it was guts out. You run as hard as you can. My coach made me run in training, every day in training, maybe run 15 yards past the finish line before I would come to my slowdown so that I learned to run through the tape, not just to it, through it. Run 
guts out. I don't run aimlessly. Then Paul changes the the analogy, goes over to boxing. I don't box as one beating the air. Uh, if you put me in a boxing arena, I would just be beating the air. What that means is I'll, I might, my blows are not striking. I am not... I'm not having any effect on my opponent. Uh, I'm beating the air. I'm not trained. Um, my first few blows, I might be able to hit his fists, but you'd be surprised how quickly you become fatigued in a boxing ring. Uh, that's why these runners, the boxers, they run, they do these exercises over and over because you don't want to just beat the air because while you're beating the air, your opponent is beating you. And so this analogy is you got to you got to be trained you got to be into it be a of purpose but here comes the thing this is how I know we're not running against other people but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified as I live my entire life done everything that I've done, Paul said, and I get to heaven, and I'm there, I'm on the Bama seat, uh, but all my rewards were wood hay and stubble. I'm disqualified, I'm dishonored. I'm there, but I don't want everything that I have done to have been done only to gain a name or to gain position or to gain wealth. I don't want that. I want it to have effect on people's lives. And the only way I can do that is to keep my body under. See, I'm working, I'm running against my own tendency to fail. So in receiving these crowns, we're running against our own tendency. Um, I want to build with gold, silver, and precious stone, but I got to labor against my flesh. Because if I give in to my flesh, if I give in to my emotions, give in sometimes to my own intellect or my own will, I'll build with wood, hay, and stubble. And then it will not be effective in eternity. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning these crowns, Paul says, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting? What is the crown in which I'm going to boast of? How much I did? That I was an apostle? That I wrote half of the New Testament? That I am honored above all? That I was the most prolific preacher? That I was the best teacher? That I knew more Greek than anybody? Well, maybe except Paulus. What is my boasting? My position? How, how, how much people knew my name? What is my boasting? What is my boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? So, here we're talking about the reward seat. What's my boasting? You. That's what I boast about. You are my hope. You're my glory. You're my joy. It's you. That's what I boast about. Seeing you in heaven. Seeing people that I witnessed to. Seeing people that I ministered to. When I can stand in heaven and see those people. I went to China 18 times. Gave out tens of thousands of Bibles. I supposed to see those people in heaven. A pastor that I trained, a pastor that received instruction and went back to his village and did good. I just don't see that in heaven. I just to know that they were productive, that they received, that they did something meaningful. That's my boasting. What I've done for my family, what I've done in witnessing. 38 years I've served this church in this position. People say, don't you ever want to, you know, go to the next step, maybe become a pastor or travel ministry? I love what I'm doing. 
I love trading believers. I love helping other believers. I love ministering to families in their time of need. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> you, you at the Lord's coming, you are my glory and my joy. That's what I boast in. James 1 says, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is simply a believer's crown. It's all I can refer to it as, a crown of life, crown of Zoe, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. Jesus said, Revelation 2, verse 10, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. This is the words he gave to a church under severe persecution. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into the prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. You're not going to come out of this. Well, that's a hard word. Really? Be faithful to the point of death. I'll give you a crown of life. The world may take their physical life. There are many believers in the world today that are under severe persecution and have been down through the centuries of the church. We want to say, well, if they just knew who they were, if they just had faith. No, there's some places that you're called to do you have to be willing to do it unto death? But Jesus says, <laughs> you get a crown of life. Now, for most of us, we can't, we can't perceive living as a martyr, giving and facing that kind of thing. But you see, God gives them a grace in that hour. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, I don't have the verse in front of me, but God gives them grace at the time of their need. There is, a, there is a way that God brings these believers through. And though the world might take their life, <laughs> God gives them a crown of life. Again, they're believers. Revelation Chapter 3 and verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Here's a church that is very productive. This is the church at, at Philadelphia. What does he mean, may seize your crown? It means that you won't get what you have labored for. It doesn't mean people are gonna, you're not going to get to heaven. It means that under the time of tribulation and pressure, which he's just made mention of, again, to the church at, at uh, Philadelphia, even though it's a very powerful church, they're coming under some tribulation. And he says, don't let anyone seize your crown. Don't let people take away the honor, the reward that is yours, because you stood. And again, it has to do with standing through persecution. We think of the... Three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They said, yeah, you may burn us in the fire. And even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow. There's a crown. There's a crown. Don't let anyone seize your crown. Don't back up. Under pressure, don't give in. Don't let anyone take the reward. Remember, crown is a reward not your eternal life. This is not they're going to lose their eternal life. doesn't say that. Don't read that into it. Hold fast. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we already read this verse. For every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a crown that is perishable, a wreath, Stephanus, but we for an imperishable one. And Paul also says in 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The rules are not the law. 
the rules or the ways of the Spirit, following the things of the Spirit. Unless, unless you follow the ways of God, you will not receive the reward. You don't do it for self-effort You don't or self-interest. You don't do it for, for self-glory. You do it, as Paul said in Thessalonians, <laughs> you are my crown of boasting. I want to see you standing there before the Lord. Second Timothy 4, 8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is the day of Christ, the day of the rapture. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Just because we love the coming of the Lord, just because we desire and look for the coming of the Lord, there is a crown for that. Because we're not giving in to the world's pressure. We're not giving in to the world's ways. And so there is an honor, gold, silver, precious stone, that we are building even as we are looking for, longing for, loving the Lord's appearance. There's a crown. An honor that is given because you did. First Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is a lesson to the pastors, a lesson to those who are called into ministry. There is a, a crown of glory that is given, a crown of honor that is given for leading the flock, being an, an, an example to the flock, not doing it out of self-interest or for money. Peter says that. But willingly, out of the commitment, call that God has placed upon our life. And then finally, Revelation 14. Now, although this passage uh, refers directly to believers under the tribulation, it, it, the principle applies to all who, um, who have believed in the Lord. Old Testament saints all the way through uh, the New Testament believers of the church, all through the tribulation saints uh, of the tribulation and and through the millennium. This passage applies. Revelation 14, 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their works, their deeds, their works, follow them. Their works are going to be rewarded. Unlike the dead who stand there before the great white throne, their works are going to condemn them. Our works are going to follow unto reward. There will be a time for reward. I believe the time for reward for the New Testament believer is at the day of the rapture, the day of Christ. Paul says on that day. I believe that it occurs on that day. For the Old Testament saints, when they are raised up at the end of the tribulation and the dead Old, Old Testament saints are, are prepared, those who believed are raised and, and prepared to enter into the millennium, there'll be a reward for them. All those. And then here, specifically, these tribulation saints, those who served during the time of the tribulation many of them giving their life. The dead who die in the Lord from now on. A severe time of persecution in the last half of the tribulation. Blessed indeed. They rest from their labors. Again, this is a spiritual principle. Once we have died in this physical life, our labor is ended and all that we remains is the rewards that we will receive. Those rewards are represented as crowns. What do we do with those crowns? Wear them around? Bring glory to ourselves? I forgot to put these passages down, but there are numbers of times the Bible talks about 
the saints casting their crowns. I believe the casting of the crowns has to do with the bowing of the heads. Presenting to God. Yeah, I got rewarded. I've got this crown because I did with what you gave me. And I used it to build gold, silver, and precious stone. But it is all to your glory. Every work I do is to his glory. My crown of boasting is not in me. It's in him. And so all I have, all I can do, is minister out of what God has given me, serve out of God has given me, love out of what God has given me, help, give out of what God has blessed me with. And I will take my crown and cast it at his feet that he might be glorified in me. So there it is. Great white throne. All who appear will face eternal damnation. But the reward seat of Christ, a place of honor where we who have served the Lord will receive for what we have done in his name through his power, through his ability, through the spirit he has given us so that we might honor the Lord with our life. Father, I thank you for the promise of your spirit, the promise of your gifting, the promise of your ability that you have filled us with life. Father, we look forward not only to what you do through us in this life, but Father, we look forward to standing on that great plain before you in the presence of your throne and looking upon all that has been done through your name, rejoicing that all the glory goes to you. Thank you for our eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.